Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Deputy Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. NCIA has a policy council in addition to 14 other committees ranging from human resources to cultivation. The Policy Council's really a special group that has come together to take on more complex regulatory issues. One of our most recent policy papers was published in June of 2021, quite recently. It's called The Medicine of Cannabis, an overview for medical professionals and policymakers. We brought several PhDs and MDs into the fold, in addition to some other experts and Evergreen members. This paper is really meant to talk about not only the endocannabinoid system in health, but also clinical uses for medical cannabis, as well as, you got it, recommendations for medical professionals and policymakers. Today, I have two of the authors on the show with me today. Dr. Paloma Lefelt and Dr. Paul Mukowski. And they're going to chat with us a bit today about what's going on in this paper. And you too can download it and read it and use it in your work as well. So let's start by getting to know our guests, Paloma and Paul. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Thank Bethany. You. Thanks so much for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with me. Paloma, let's start with you. Um, let's learn more about your background and experience and what kinds of work you've done before contributing to this work on medical cannabis. Sure, sure. Um, I'm currently the director of medical education at Goodness Growth Holdings, formerly Vireo Health, where I preach the cannabis gospel to fellow physicians, researchers, <laughs> and really, you know, fill in those gaps that we missed out uh, on in medical school. Um, I'm also the co-chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but really, it, it's my belief that in order to be a true advocate in the canna- cannabis industry, you have to be involved in advocacy history, policymaking, medicine, and science. And this is really what we try to encompass in this paper. Awesome. Great. And, and you, Paul, tell us more about, about your background and some things you've worked on in the past. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my background was actually in academic research. So I have a PhD in biochemistry and worked as a professor in medical schools for about 12 years leading a research group that was really interested in uh, trying to develop new treatments for chronic neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, And along that journey, I actually started doing research on the endocannabinoid system 
um, specifically in the context of complex brain diseases. Um, and so that's what sort of drew me into the whole cannabis world. But um, right, I ended up leaving academia, um, my own company in the cannabis um, called Define Research. And uh, we're a company that's really just interested in trying to establish um, cannabis-based products that, that have established efficacy based on human studies. Fantastic. So thanks for that background. Um, Paloma, you said you have a background in, you know, well, both of you have, have a professional medical background, of course. And, you know, in my personal experience, I, I grew up with a, a mother that was a nurse. And when I asked her about this uh, several years ago, she said she did not know what the endocannabinoid system was. It was not taught to her. It was not discussed in her job ever. Uh, so it's relatively a new topic for medical professionals that's still being unpacked and, and just becoming more comfortable to be talked about as well. Uh, so I'm curious, Paloma, was there any resistance for you to move into this cannabis-related research, any stigmas, or, or what propelled you to, to get involved in this area yeah, that's a great question. And, and, you know, like your mom and other people in the United States, they believe that the endocannabinoid system is new. And in fact, it's been studied for almost 20 years. It was discovered in Israel almost 20 years ago. So yes, of course, I experience a lot of stigma again, because only 13% of United States medical schools are currently teaching about the endocannabinoid system. And that's really doing United States patients and citizens a disservice because the endocannabinoid system is arguably one of the most important organ systems in the body. It's responsible for homeostasis, which is a fancy word for balance. It interacts with our central nervous system, which is why it's so imperative and, and important for the treatment of many mental health conditions. And you know, we're experiencing an onset, another epidemic of new, new onset mental health conditions after the epidemic, the corona pandemic that we just experienced as a country. It interacts with our cardiovascular system and many other organs systems in the body, really to just regulate and kind of turn down that temperature when it gets too hot or that music when it gets too loud throughout our bodies. So again, yes, I experienced stigma, just the fact that there, we don't experience that education in medical school. I know Paul Denton as well. The two veterinarians that also contributed to the paper did not, experience, did not learn about it in veterinary school. So uh, in order to really learn about it. We have to almost go back to medical school. Nobody wants to go back to medical school after eight years of work, but it's really doing patients a disservice to not do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you, Paul, when you made that decision to start working in cannabis medicine, cannabis policy, doing, doing this research and work, uh, was it something you were excited to get into? Were you nervous about what your colleagues would think? What really got you into it? Well, what's interesting is um, for me, um, I wasn't that familiar with the research on cannabis at the point that I started to work on it. And so I decided to sort of take a deep dive and see what was out there. And it also was helpful that um, one of uh, a close colleague of mine had devoted his entire lab doing research on um, the endocannabinoid system, a colleague named uh, Dr. Nefi Stella. This was when I was at the University of Washington. So he really convinced me to look at it. And essentially, once I started looking at the research, I was really blown away by, by how much had been done already, at least preclinically. Um, yeah, so I, I thought it 
was an exciting opportunity. Um, uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, people raise the eyebrow why you'd work in that sort of thing. But um, it's such an important system that I was compelled to work on it. And I knew that it was going to be an interesting area for research. Absolutely. And I think Paloma had hinted at the research that had been done decades prior uh, coming out of the country of Israel. I, I believe the, the doctor's name is Meshulam. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. There we go. Yes. So a little bit of groundwork had been laid um, internationally, but here in the United States, we're playing a bit of catch up. So speaking of catch up, um, before we take our first commercial break and really dive into what the policy paper talks about, uh, let's let's hear a little bit about what what each of you are doing now today in the year 2021 with your current companies. Paloma? Sure. So being uh, one of the only physician-led cannabis companies, we know the importance of good clinical research. And we'll talk about the inability to really conduct good research because of the current scheduling of cannabis. But we have two uh, clinical trials up on clinicaltrials.gov right now, um, both out of New York, focused on um, opioid reduction and chronic pain patients with the use of medical cannabis. This is incredibly important um, to large amounts of uh, people in the United States. We have 113 people dying from opioid overdose every day. And really the, the fact that doctors don't have cannabis in their toolkits or don't know that it's an option for a replacement or an adjunct therapy. We actually know now that opiates and, and cannabis work synergistically, something called synergistic analgesia. So again, not having that research out there to really direct clinicians is really doing them a disservice and why we're so dedicated to really elevating that clinical research in the cannabis world. Excellent, thank you for doing that work. And you, Paul? Yeah, so um, for our company, we're also very much like Paloma's company interested in the clinical aspects of cannabis. Um, and I guess um, we've been taking sort of a more a narrow focus approach. I mean, there's cannabis is used widely, you know, in society for all variety of ailments. And for many, we don't know whether it actually works. And so we're sort of um, making custom chemical formulations of cannabis based products and then testing them in specific indications. And uh, the one that we've been focusing on is insomnia because we think it's a huge problem that has an impact on all sorts of other disease states, including anxiety. And um, yeah, and so we're, we're also focusing predominantly on cannabidiol and CBD right now. But uh, uh, in general, we're really just excited about doing studies that um, hopefully will unveil new research about how these molecules work and how they impact uh, human physiology. Absolutely. I love that. Um, you know, as, as someone who is interested in herbalism, in addition to, you know, the actual medicine of cannabis as well, I think there's, you know, some anecdotal healing out there, some folklore, quote unquote, healing that just didn't have the science to back up what the actual impacts, the positive health impacts were. So now the science can catch up with, with the knowledge. All right, let's take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and dive into this policy paper, The Medicine of Cannabis with a couple of the authors. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. 
Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm talking with a couple of authors for this policy paper that we re- recently published here about the medicine of cannabis. Um Paloma and Paul are two of the authors that have joined me today to chat about it. So, Paul, can you tell us a bit more about what the overall goals were for this paper um, and more about the other authors on your team that you worked with? There were doctors of medicine as well as veterinarians for animals you mentioned as well. Tell me more about how all that worked out. Yes, so um, I guess in thinking back about how this all started, um, uh, Andrew Klein, who was, I believe, former director of policy for NCIA, yep. um, he, um, he he was the sort of person who coordinated all of this and had the idea that that would be an important topic. Part of the um, historical perspective is that the, the election was coming on when we started to work on this. And there's this um, you know hope that with the new administration, there's gonna be more forward thinking policy at the national level. And so we thought it was timely to put together um, a white paper that sort of uh, presents the research that we know at the cutting edge and, and what we don't know as well, including policy recommendations. And so he built a team of really talented individuals, as you mentioned, um, there's two veterinarians that actively interact with the, page, the pet patient population in terms of prescribing um, cannabinoids for those animals. And they had a very unique perspective. And then we had a handful of uh, medical doctors that are seeing patients, you know, actively all the time. And then I was uh, more the guy with the research background. Gotcha. You know, yeah, with with the veterinarian work on this, um, I'm a dog owner also. And, you know, we're just getting on the other side of the 4th of July, one of the loudest holidays um, (laughs) that the U.S. experiences, I think. Um, So a lot of pets, a lot of pet owners go to the pet CBD brands to help calm their scared scared animals um, because they don't understand that fireworks are okay. (laughs) Um, So it's important to understand these clinical applications for humans, absolutely. Um, but, you know, our furry friends are important as well. So, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I think that area is just tip of the iceberg. I mean, so people are just starting to get started on that. And uh, But it has all sorts of potential. I mean, those animals have as many medical needs as humans. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, let's take a little walk back into the past here. Uh, talk about the history of cannabis uh, as used as medicine before prohibition, before the war on drugs. I think if you search Google images, you can find older apothecary style jars that show um, some kind of cannabis tincture. And it's, it's a, you know, apothecary style late 1900s or late 1800s, sorry, uh, style of uh, medicine. 
Um, but you know, this was over a hundred years ago. What what else about the history of cannabis is maybe just so far behind our modern memories that we need to be reminded of it, Paloma? Yeah, I mean, we we made it we made a concerted effort to include a history section in this paper because even though cannabis and medical cannabis has been getting a lot a lot of traction in recent years. A lot of people don't realize that the first documented use of medical cannabis was in 2800 BC in ancient China. I mean, this was used in ancient Greek and ancient Roman times as a medicine in the army. We have a lot of anecdotes involving William Shakespeare, Henry VIII. It was a huge part of the United States economy up until, as you mentioned, Bethany, the prohibition of cannabis, which was you know the so-called war on drugs, which systemically targeted black and brown communities in the United States. Prior to that, in 1850, medical cannabis was used throughout America as in tincture form, format for um, ailments from leprosy to opiate addiction to sexual dysfunction to chronic pain. Many of the qualifying conditions that we see today in the United States and in states where medical cannabis is legal. And it wasn't until 1937 that this was really demonized. And it's because of the xenophobic tone that we really don't have this available. It was taught in medical schools as a viable treatment option for many different con conditions. And it was, it, you know, it wasn't removed from the US pharmacopoeia until 1942. And after that, you know, in 1970s, it's, it's put on a schedule one status. And we all know what happened from there, again, which is why we aren't taught about cannabis. And so we really wanted to highlight how much cannabis and not just medical cannabis, but hemp. Hemp was used in, in, in our sales. It was, the, it was uh, a major export in the United States and a huge part of the economy of our country. So we really wanted to take some time to highlight what cannabis was to the United States before it was highly, highly stigmatized. And it remains so today. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I like to reference that Queen Victoria um, famously used cannabis for her for her monthly cramps, I believe, is, is what I've read over the years. So there are figures throughout history um, that have been known to use it. It's really fascinating. And uh, I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to insert a little quote from one of my favorite movies from the 90s, Dazed and Confused. They were making jokes about how George <laughs> George Washington, his wife Martha, would bring him a nice, nice bowl at the end of the day of running the country, something like that. So yes, uh, cannabis is not new. Um, and all this really, really underscores the need and importance to deschedule cannabis. You mentioned that didn't happen until the 60s or so, like the, the Controlled Substances Act list of scheduling drugs as one, two, three, four, what have you. Let's talk more about that as well and the current research available. And of course, the need for more research, particularly here in the United States. Paloma? So a lot of people argue that we have enough research to deschedule today. And I just want to make that point. As, as uh, physicians, we're taught to practice evidence-based medicine, meaning that we follow randomized controlled trials, the gold standard of research in order to make stepwise decisions in 
and how to treat different disease processes. Unfortunately, we don't have that research for cannabis because of its schedule one status. Schedule one meaning that it has zero medical benefit and a high potential for addiction. It's in the same category as methamphetamine and some other very dangerous and lethal drugs. I think that Bill Murray said it best that isn't it ironic that the most dangerous part about cannabis is getting caught with it. I couldn't, you know, agree so true. with that more, right? We'll just be quoting uh, Bill Murray and Dazed and Confused for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> for me. Yeah. But, um, and let's talk about, I, I brought it up once, oral opiates are schedule two and they kill 113 to 130 Americans every day. So it, it, the policy is incredibly antiquated just on that fact alone and in need of a major um, revision and, and rescheduling. I know we'll, we talk about this in the paper as well, is just not enough. It doesn't open the doors to research. And yeah. let's just remember that alcohol isn't on the controlled substance. Tobacco isn't on the controlled substance list. And they both kill hundreds of thousands of Americans every year. So again, the need to deschedule is now, which is why this paper is so important and timely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll quickly mention uh, NCIA also published a paper a few years ago about uh, opioid use and how cannabis is, is a viable solution um, in many cases. So that's also an older policy paper on NCIA's industry reports section uh, that can be referenced as well. Uh, Paul, what are your thoughts as well on, on descheduling and, and bringing in more research based here in the U.S.? Yeah, well, I'd first like to just state that um, the, the scheduling of cannabis was not based ever on any science whatsoever. It was completely based on racist policy targeting um, black and brown folks. And so the scientists pretty much the whole time have been saying, hey, it's stupid that it's scheduled as the same as heroin. And so um, now what, but, but practically speaking, what impediments does that mean for research? And they're dramatic because essentially, if you want to do any sort of research on cannabis, you have to go through the, uh, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, and um, you have to get a license to have it. You have to use only cannabis from this farm in Mississippi. And, um, and not only that, but all the governmental organizations that oversee these studies in the first place um, make it incredibly difficult to get them done. So by and large, if you compare our country to other countries, um, you know, very few research studies have been done. It's starting to open up a little more, but, um, but you know, we have a huge way to go. And, and it's really unfortunate because it wasn't ever based on any scientific rationale. Right, right. I think that's something a lot of people are learning is that the, the prohibition of cannabis, the quote unquote war on drugs um, was truly based on not anything science related at all. It was purely xenophobic, as you said it, political, so on and so forth. Uh, all right, let's take our second commercial break here, and then we'll come back and wrap up our chat with Paloma and Paul about the medicine of cannabis. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
Smart Pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, Smart Pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart Pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million Smart Pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for Smart Pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, chatting with Dr. Paloma Leffelt and Dr. Paul Mukowski about a recent NCIA Policy Council paper called The Medicine of Cannabis. So the next time NCIA finally goes back to D.C. for lobby days after this incredibly long year and a half or more of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we're already talking to members of Congress and their staffers about the Safe Banking Act, about 280E, veterans access. What else should we be adding to our talking points based on this policy paper of what the top policy recommendations that are highlighted should be focused on? Sure, I'll start with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so so basically, I mean, there's a lot of work to do, but I, at the top of the list is descheduling cannabis and removing it from DEA j- jurisdiction. Um, this will facilitate a flood, I think, of research that's gonna be very helpful in shaping policy as we move forward. Um, I also believe that we should create a National Institute for Cannabis Research. So, you know, there's like an Institute for Drug Abuse, there's Institutes for Neurological Disease and so on. This is so important that it deserves its entire research division because, you know, we've never really had a medicine like this that has potential to be used for so many different factors that's the safe. So, um, you know, in order to facilitate research, creating a, a National Institute that supports it and funding that research would be really important. Um, we also believe that um, we should uh, support uh, state regulators by establishing guidelines with safety measures in them um, to help shape how policy moves forward at a national level. A really important one that I know Paloma cares deeply about is supporting education and continuing education on cannabis at the medical school level and otherwise nursing school, pharmacy school, and so on. Yeah, as you mentioned, they just simply aren't taught right now. It's really actually astonishing that that's uh, currently allowed to happen. Um, and, you know, finally, we think that, that you know, we need to bring the medical community in. I'm going to be uh, at a higher level. And the only way to get that will be through research. I absolutely agree. Okay, so if I'm a listener listening to this episode right now, I head to NCIA's website, thecannabisindustry.org, find the industry reports and I download this paper. I'll even print it out, maybe on hemp paper. We'll see. <laughs> now, now what do I do with this paper to really make the most out of it, Paloma? Well, it depends how much time you have. You know, we, <laughs> we, we made sure that we broke it down into very important sections. So if you're interested 
in different cannabinoids. Remember this, like as Paul mentioned, we need more research because this is a plant of over a thousand and one different medicines. We go through and we break down the major cannabinoids, THC and CBD, which we're familiar with, and some of the minor cannabinoids. For instance, cannabinol, which is CBN, it can be used in conjunction with THC. Research shows that it, it improves uh, sedation. And so it's used a lot by patients for insomnia. But we have a lot of clinical pearls in there that are really important for patients and clinicians alike. We also break down the history as well as policy recommendations at the end. As Paul mentioned, education is of the utmost importance. Read the paper, interact with us on social media. Dr. Paul Machowski, Dr. Kasara Andre, Dr. Tim Shu, Dr. Stephen Dahmer, Dr. Lynn Porodnik, Andrew Klein, and myself. Interact with us. Let us know what you think. Let us know what your policymakers think. Let us know what your physicians think. A lot of these physicians haven't even read about the endocannabinoid system. So we provide them a primer with evidence-based medicine, with clinical research internationally done that really support disease-specific conditions and implications for cannabis as a medicine. We really want to make sure that this is available to everyone. We want to bring this back into every physician's toolkit. And this is really, we hope to be the bridge to do, do so. So uh, print this out, go to Kinko's, share it with your policymakers and share it with your physicians and interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Paul, do you have anything to add to that? It's hard to top that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. But um, yeah, no, I mean, my, my feeling on this is like, why isn't it not moving forward faster? Right. I mean, we've been talking about this forever, especially at the national level. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Canada did it long ago already. Now, you know, states have done it. It's been safe. So, you know, now it's like, oh, it's not a top priority. I understand that, but it should be a top priority. And I think, you know, what I would encourage listeners to do is to reach out and engage policymakers, get involved, become policymakers. Um, I feel that this is a toolkit. This this white paper essentially lays the foundation at the cutting edge of what we do know and do not know um, in terms of me medical aspects of cannabis. And we know quite a lot, actually. In fact, um, the National Academy of Scientists and the United States, which is one of the, it is the most prestigious organization of research scientists in the US, they had a policy paper saying you know, that there's substantial evidence for a number of um, medical aspects, including pain and, and insomnia. So um, I just would say, you know, why are we waiting here right now, yeah. slowing this down? You know, it, it should not be that difficult to create policy at a national level at this point. Um, sure. And it needs to be done. Yeah, I have a feeling that this paper, The Medicine of Cannabis, is just the beginning. And I love what you said, Paloma. Cannabis is the, med the 1001 medicine. H how did you phrase that? The plant of over a thousand and one medicines. And it really is. It is. I love that. And I think that's the perfect place to end this episode. We hope to see everybody at our fall trade shows. Head to our website to see us uh, for more information on how to see us in Detroit, Baltimore, and San Francisco this fall. Thank you both Dr. Paloma and Dr. Paul for joining me today. And thanks for your work on this paper. Appreciate it so much. Everyone go download it now, check it out and do what we've asked. Interact with your policymakers and medical professionals. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time.
the opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.